Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in verse, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. All right, we'll be looking at a number of verses this morning, but we're going to start this morning in Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7, we've read from Isaiah chapter 9, and we'll be looking at Isaiah chapter 7 along with some places in Matthew and Jeremiah and Boy, a whole bunch of places, so I hope you're ready. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 says this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, And as we learn from reading in Matthew chapter 1, uh, Emmanuel means God with us. So we are going to receive a sign. And this sign is that a virgin will conceive and bear a son, and he will be God with us. What is a sign? If you're driving down a freeway, a sign tells you what exit you might want to take. In and out burgers, next right. That's a sign from God. Taking this exit. Uh, a sign might be something that you look for. You're, you're out and about and you're not sure where you ought to uh, go to the store. Am I going to shop here or there? And you drive and one has a full parking lot and one is empty. You say, well, I'll take the one. It's a sign from God to shop here where I can easily find a parking spot. A sign here in Scripture is not just a, an indication of what ought to be done. A sign here in Scripture is telling us what God is doing. And what we have to understand about this sign from God in particular is this is a good sign, a good sign from God that God is with us. And we're going to look in Scripture at the birth of Christ and understand what God is trying to communicate to us through this good sign, Jesus with us. Jesus is God with us. Uh, think about it this way. Uh, maybe you'll see on a television a large pro building project that is completed, maybe a large shopping center or an amusement park or a sports arena and you will see a dedication ceremony where dignitaries and uh, of the building company and from the ownership group and from uh, the local political uh, uh, big mucky mucks I think is the title uh, they will cut the ribbon and and everybody will be let in and and you'll notice about the CEO of the company that owns said development he shows up on the day it's dedicated but where was he when the drywall was being installed probably in the Caribbean somewhere right so this is what's interesting about these kinds of projects. The CEO shows up when it's done, and it's looking good. And all the real heavy lifting is done. All that's left is cutting the ribbon. But this is not how Jesus works. Jesus is God with us in the midst of the work not being done yet. He's not showing up at the end once we've got our act together. Jesus is a good sign because he is God with us in the worst of times. Jesus is a good times because he is God with us in the worst of times for the best of reasons. Look over at Matthew chapter 1, 
verse 23, and this is where the New Testament authors reference this prophecy from the book of Isaiah. This is what it says. Matthew chapter 1, verse 22, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Verse 22, all this took place to fulfill the prophet. What is this, all this, that took place? Well, we have to go back to verse 18 of Matthew chapter 1. And it says this, the birth of Christ took place in this way. So how did the birth of Christ take place? And the author tells us it took place in this way. And we're going to learn later, in this way, he fulfilled uh, the prophecy. What's the thing that happened? Well, Mary was engaged to Joseph. Oh, love. Mary is engaged to Joseph, but they're not yet married, and they had not yet to come together in an intimate, physical way, as a married couple would. They weren't married yet, and so they had not yet had marital relations. Uh, but unfortunately for Mara, Mary, she was found to be pregnant. I'm not a biology teacher. My understanding is. A man, he loves his wife. <laughs> See, some of you had to give the talk to a kid. I'm talking to an entire, I'm not going to give you the talk today. This is how it works. <laughs> Mary and Joseph hadn't been together yet, and she was pregnant, and, met, and Joseph did the math. She's pregnant. She's been with somebody. It wasn't me. She's an adulteress. It wasn't complicated math for him to do. She's pregnant. She hasn't been with me. So therefore, she has been with someone else. Therefore, she is an adulteress. Long story short, he says, I'm not marrying her. I'm going to put her aside, although I'll do so quietly and not publicly. He didn't know that the child in her was not the result of union with a man. The child in her was the result of the work of the Holy Spirit. So she was not adulterous. She was being used by God to carry God himself to birth as a human. So Joseph was going to put her aside and divorce her and break off the engagement. And he has a dream and an angel shows up to him and says this, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. If you and I were Joseph, we'd have some follow-up questions. That's good to hear. But what about my reputation? What about Mary's reputation? What about what people are saying? On these topics, the angel has nothing to say because the angel doesn't care about these things. Joseph, take Mary. Don't be afraid to take her as your wife. She has been faithful to you and God is being faithful to use her. Verse 21, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from his sins. A good sign. Jesus is God with us in the way in which he was born to us. Not into ideal circumstances, but rather into the most not ideal of circumstances. Broken engagements, unexplained pregnancies, times of trouble politically, times of great poverty for Mary and Joseph. When Jesus is finally born and has been born eight days, they go to the temple to offer the customary offering when you have a boy, 
And the offering they offer is one that is given by the poorest of people. So we know that this is a, a very uh, difficult situation that Jesus is being born into. And it's this kind of situation that Jesus is God with us. He is God amongst us. He is God in the midst of us and the troubles we have. He is God who commingles with us in the stresses and difficulties and brokenness of real life. Jesus is God with us because he gets it. He understands it. He knows what it's like to live in the most unideal of circumstances. So he is a good sign. Jesus is God with us. Not God with us when everything's great. God with us when everything's the opposite of great, which is exactly what Mary had and Joseph uh, had to uh, deal with, what they had to face. Look at the two names uh, that Jesus is given. He is given the name Jesus, Savior. He is going to save his people from their sins. He is going to provide hope, not primarily from problems, but hope from the problem, which is sin. And secondly, Emmanuel, God with us. So when we think of Christ, he did not come to save us from our sins by standing on some lofty hill and saying, come to me up here, get out of your muck, and come up to me up here, and I will save you. Instead, he jumps into the muck with us and says, I will save you from your sins while among you. And this is a good sign. Jesus is God with us because his birth was extraordinary in the way that it was ordinary, and his birth was not a wholly sanitized birth. He was not born in a church. He was not born into the hands of a priest and set on a priestly throne and coddled from the young age of a boy in a temple or in a palace. Instead, he was born in the most humble of circumstances to the most humble of parents in the worst of times, that he might be our Savior who is God with us. A good sign. Jesus is God with us. Quick question here before we move on to the second sign. In all our efforts to know God, in all our efforts to find God, and think of all the efforts you have made to know God and to find God. And you say, well, what are you talking about? Uh, a couple of ideas here. Maybe every now and then you do something you regret. No one here? Okay. It's going to be awkward then. Every now and then you do something and you really blow it. You really blow it. The kind of thing you said, boy, if that was in the paper, I'd have to move. And so what you then do is a whole series of things to try and make yourself feel better. Okay, I'm going to read my Bible every day now. Boy, and I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to pray all the time in my car. I'm not turning that devil's music on. And, and you know, I'm going to witness to my, my co-worker. That your co-workers all know when you did something really bad that weekend because you show up on Monday and share Jesus with them. As a penance, your co-workers don't want to be your penance. All these things. Well, I'm going to be nice to my family now because I, uh, whatever it might be. So we do all of these things to try and overcome our sense of guilt and shame and, and our effort to know God and connect with God. And have we ever considered that he came to us, we're not trying to get to him. When he was born to Joseph and Mary, he was sending us this clear message. 
Your efforts to find him are lame. At best, better, let him find you. Because he is God with us even in the midst of our brokenness and our frailty and even in our sin. He is God with us. He came to find us in our sin, to save us from our sin, and to know us. I know it's church. You're going to act like you believe me. But whether or not you believe me is what you think of when you go to bed at night. Your head hits pillow and you think about all of Monday morning's problems. Right? Here we go. Ahaz thinks the solution to his military problems and his real-world problems are military and real-world solutions. God, through the prophet, tells Ahaz, no, you've missed it. You don't need solutions. You need the presence of God in your problems. You're asking it. I may as well ask it for you. So does that mean the problems will get fixed? Absolutely not. But we get God's presence in the problems. Look at Mary and Joseph. When Joseph finally trusted God and said, okay, I'll marry her, even though she's pregnant, and I will not even have relationships with her while married until she has the baby, and he says, okay, I've got God's presence in the midst of my problems. Did all his problems get better? No, they got markedly worse. The baby was born. Herod then tried to kill all the babies, so they had to flee to Egypt. Then when they came back from Egypt, they discover Herod's uh, relative was in charge, and so now they had to settle in Nazareth. We'll get into that next week. His problems didn't get better with the presence of God. His problems got worse. But what did he have in those challenges? The presence of God. So you've got to decide here. Are we Ahaz? I like God when he fixes stuff. Or are we Joseph? I like God. Period. That's the great question that faces us today. Do I like God when he fixes stuff? Or do I just like God? And that's what Jesus is a good sign of. Jesus is a sign of real hope that God will be present with us in the worst of times. The question is whether or not we're, we, we want that. Do we want the presence of God, or do we just simply want our difficulties fixed? That's a fair question. Ahaz's answer was this. You can keep God. I'll take my solutions. A good sign. Jesus is real hope because his presence is guaranteed in the midst of the real difficulties of our life. Jesus is real hope. So here's something you can jot down or you can memorize or you can just be annoyed with. Are you ready? The enemy of hope is self-sufficiency. The enemy of hope is self-sufficiency. The reality of hope is God is with us because we're not self-sufficient. The person today who has no fixes for their problems has the more advantaged position over the person who has really good solutions to their problems. The person who finds themselves in a place where they got no answers and the only answer left is to seek God, they have the privileged position because it is them who will seek God because they got no other, no other options. The challenge is for most of us who we have real challenges we face, and we got some halfway decent answers. 
we got some halfway decent solutions. And we think that will suffice over the presence of God. If all of your problems were fixed today, you would not have more hope. If they all went away, every one of those issues, you would not have more hope. The only source of hope is God himself. If it takes real-world, tough-stuff problems to drive us to seek God for hope, we have gained immensely. And if we will seek God more so in problems, then we ought to pray to God, send me more problems, that I might find my hope in you alone. The enemy of hope is self-sufficiency. And the reality of hope is that God is with us because we are needy. A good sign. Jesus is God with us, and Jesus is real hope. Finally, let's look at Jesus' solution briefly. Jesus' solution. Number one, it never ends. It deals with our real problem, and it is honest. We're going to go back over to Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. If you're not sure where Matthew is, it's right after Malachi. Just trying to help. Just trying to help. Matthew 1, 21. She, that is Mary, will bear a son, and you'll give his name Jesus, which means Savior, for he will save his people from their sins. When you get injured, uh, generally you want the pain to stop. When you get injured, you want the pain to stop. There's a number of things that you can do to make the pain stop. When you injure yourself, you will yell out something. I don't know what your something of choice is. But you will yell out something as a means to making the pain go away. You will then take maybe pain medication. And maybe you will wash that down with other kinds of pain medication. That's, that's between you and the Lord. You're just trying to deal with the pain. But it just might be, it just might be that treatment of the injury is more urgent than dealing with the pain of the injury. It just might be that it, the pain is not going to go away till the injury itself is properly dealt with, and dealing with pain is, is weeks or months down the road. That you're, there's going to have to be uh, maybe surgery. There's going to have to be maybe healing. There's going to have to be maybe dealing with an infection. And pain is not the immediate problem. The immediate problem is the injury itself, and when the injury itself is dealt with, then over time, perhaps, pain will be dealt with. And this is Jesus' call to us. Jesus is a good sign because Jesus is eternal salvation. He did not come to merely deal with our immediate problems, our immediate pains. Look at what it says in verse 21. Jesus will save his people from their sins. Why did Jesus come? To save his people from their political problems. No. To save his people from uh, difficult unemployment issues. No. To save his people from illness. Why, didn't he heal people? I'll mess with you now. You realize he didn't heal all the lepers in Israel. Does that bother you? Do you have any kind of information that indicates that he healed all the lepers in Israel? He also raised some people from the dead. Lazarus, for example. Has anybody met Lazarus? That means he died again. I personally only want to do it once. 
I don't know if being raised from the dead is said, hey, you're raised from the dead. Wait a minute, I got to do that again? That was painful. I, uh, he was sick for days and days and days. Then he dies, raised from the dead. Well, uh, Lord, take me by a train wreck, please. He said, well, Jesus didn't come to, uh, for mercy just to help sick people be healthy and blind people see and deaf people see and mute people speak and cast out demons. No, all of those were signs to indicate he could forgive sins. The reason Jesus came was to forgive his people of their sins. Jesus' help is forever. Jesus' help is eternal. However, Jesus' help may not change the immediate concerns I have in this moment. You and I have a significant number of problems and worries that we face today and tomorrow, don't we? And Jesus forgives sins. Yay, okay, wait, my list of problems is the same. And the question we have to ask ourselves, Jesus' salvation is eternal. Do I want eternal salvation or do I want this week to be less stressful? Which one matters to me more? The challenge the people of Israel face when Jesus is alive, the challenge you and I face today is we want this week to be less stressful more than we want forgiveness of sins. God was with us in the garden before we sinned. God was with us in the garden after Adam and Eve sinned. Notice, after they ate the forbidden fruit from the forbidden tree, God came into the garden and in the cool of the day to walk with them and hang out. Where was Adam? He was the one hiding from God in his shame and in his guilt. God is the one who is seeking to be with us. We are the ones who hide from him, hide from him in our shame. All throughout scripture, God has promised to be with us. In Genesis chapter 3, he tells the woman, your seed will crush the serpent's head. He makes a promise to Abraham, the entire world will be blessed through your offspring, which in the end is Jesus. He makes a promise to David saying, on your throne, your son will sit for all time. And then he makes a promise to us about the relationship we can have with God in Jeremiah 31, 31. I'm going to read it. And this is what it says, Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For... I will forgive their iniquity. That's a fancy word for sin. I will remember their sin no more. What is the message of God? He is saying, I am with you, and my aim is to deal with your problem, which is a sin problem, a rebellion problem, a shame problem, a relationship that's broken problem where God has been cast aside by you and me. And God has promised to make a way for that relationship to be restored. 
And it is in that relationship with God restored that we find life that will never end. We will find purpose that never goes away. How, does that, how is that accomplished? Romans 6.23 says this, The wages or the cost of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death. That seems kind of extreme. I mean, there are some sins that are pretty bad, like killing people, right? That should be death. But what about not yielding the right of way? It's Christmas time. The spirit of not yielding right of way when you're trying to get into the store, especially the REI parking lot. That is a sign of the fallen nature of man right there. Has anybody tried to get into that parking lot? Well, certainly a little white lie, especially if I just kind of bend the truth a little bit to keep my spouse from getting upset. Nothing wrong with that. No, that costs you your life. We're certainly fudging the numbers a bit on my accounting so that I show a bit of a less of a profit and I owe the tax man a little bit less money. That's not a big deal. I mean, nobody's getting hurt, bro. Yeah, you are. You're dying for it. No, sir, I'm not having an affair. I just chat a little bit over the text with so-and-so. It's not a big deal. Nobody's getting hurt and they kind of understand me a little bit. No, you're going to die for it. The wages of sin is what? Yeah, you don't buy it. The wages of sin and death is sort of a theological thing that's in our heads. But it's not that big a deal. No, it's telling us it's that big a deal. Jesus didn't come to slum it because our sin wasn't that big a deal. He came to make a way for our sin to be dealt with and for life to be imparted on those who would believe him. But we will not receive it as long as we think our sin is pretty cool or it's okay. Most people's sin leads to death. My sin just leads to sort of some minor inconveniences. That's not what it says. Your sin leads to death. Though the cost of your sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. As long as you think your sin is pretty cool, not that big a deal, then the problem you want fixed is that you feel a little bad about your sin but what you really want from God is for your problems to go away. When you come to the realization that your sin has killed you, you will carry very little about your silly little problems we have today because you need eternal life. And it is a free gift of God to give us eternal life in Christ Jesus. He gives it for free. It costs us nothing but faith. Look what it says in 1 John chapter 5. This is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son, who is Jesus. Whoever has the Son has... Come on, you've memorized this verse before. Whoever has the Son has life. What else do you want? Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of, son, of the Son of God that you may know that your problems will finally be fixed. Okay, I changed it, didn't I? See, I'm trying to keep you with me. That's not what it says. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. It never ends. It never ends. And eternal there is both length and richness. You will not have a length of life that is boring. You will have life that never ends, 
that is always more and more fulfilling in Christ himself. This is the greatest deal ever known. Jesus is a good sign because he gives us eternal salvation. The way we receive it is simply by trusting Jesus to forgive us for our sin. It's that simple. But if you want Jesus to just fix your problems, number one, he didn't come to do it. And number two, you settled for too little. Our injury is our sin against God. All our pains are temporary. Our injury that needs to be fixed is our sin against God. All the other pains we experience in this life are temporary. What we need is a fix from our permanent solution, which is our separation from God. A good sign. Jesus is God with us. Jesus is real hope. And Jesus is eternal salvation. Just a couple of thoughts here to leave with you especially as it relates to Christmas time. Christmas hope. Hope is a big theme at Christmas time, and it should be. The hope we have is because God is with us. Jesus is with us. Even today, by his spirit, when we have put our faith in Jesus Christ, we have God's presence in us by his spirit. The reason we have hope at Christmas is because God is with us, and all other dreams and hopes in the end are false hopes or temporary hopes or short-lived hopes. Our hope is God is with us. He is with us even in this moment. That's what Christmas hope is. Christmas hope is Jesus is with us. How about Christmas rest? Some of us, when it comes to Christmas time, we think of anything except rest. We're all busy. We have to go shopping. We have to plan parties. Whatever you do for Christmas that makes you busy. Seems like most people are busy. Christmas rest. How do we rest? Jesus is real hope when we recognize we don't have it figured out. We don't have all the solutions to our problems. We aren't as self-sufficient as we think we are. We can't, by smarts and intuition and resources, finally have hope because we've figured out how to put all our problems where they belong. We have hope when we say, I can't figure my business out. Jesus needs to be my hope. Now I'm going to offend some people because I'm going to make fun of the Hallmark Channel. So you see these Christmas specials, and here's how they always end, okay? I'm trying to be nice. Family members who love the Hallmark Channel. This is how they always end. So they always, so there's always some kind of trauma. Somebody is sick and somebody's broke and then somebody's single and somebody, oh, the, all these things. Here's how they always end. They always end up somehow with all of these massive problems. They have somehow booked a luxury cabin in the woods. <laughs> somehow this family that is borderline dysfunctional has the resources to plan ahead to book this luxury camp in, in the woods. They all pull up to this luxury cabin in their late model luxury SUVs. And then they open the SUVs and pull out these large boxes and they all have bought one another expensive gifts that are difficult to find. This is the wok I found. It was hand hammered by Tibetan monks and I had to retrieve it in Nepal myself. And everybody figures it out. Mom and dad finally rectify their marriage and brother and sister are finally playing uh, Parcheesi together on the floor and that one person who is single and has always been single <gasps> falls in love 
at a luxury cabin up in the woods, hundreds of miles from nowhere, knock, knock on the door, and there's Mr. Chiseled Iron Jaw. You have a cup of sugar. See, you've seen these films, haven't you? And it's ridiculous. They don't play them because we don't want to watch them. They're playing them because in the back of our minds, we're thinking, this will be that Christmas where it, they're going to take pictures of it and put it on Christmas cards. It's false hope. It's a false hope. Because some of us this Christmas, just to keep it real, some of us this Christmas, on Christmas Day, some people in this room are going to be all by themselves. Because people travel, because people have died. Do they have hope? Yes. If they need Christmas to be a Hallmark Channel special, there will not be any hope. If God is with us, we have hope. When your children opened that gift and they didn't think it was cool because you couldn't afford the cool one, are you devastated or do you have hope? You have hope because God is with you as a parent who feels like a failure. If you have to shovel, shuffle kids between one household and another because of relational brokenness in the family, do you say, how can I have hope in this? It's not hope because someday we're going to be on the Hallmark Channel. It's hope because God is with us in this stuff. And if you need more than God is with us, you've missed the point. And the way we have hope is in the stuff of life. We say, God is with me in this. And he loves it. He loves the dysfunction. He loves engaging in the reality of my life and the reality of your life. Christmas rest is finding hope in God with us because this is the Christmas message. Your problems aren't your problem. Jesus has fixed your problem. He is with us.